If interest rates continue to rise, many banks may see the value of their investment portfolios decrease, which in and of itself is nothing to be alarmed about because they can just hold those until those investments mature over time. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families, and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, everyone. I'm Annie. Annie Dickerson, and on behalf of Julie Lamb, as well as the whole Good Egg Investments team, thrilled to welcome you to another episode of the Life and Money Show. Now, as you know, here on the Life and Money Show, we talk about all sorts of different things related to personal finance and investing, as well as helping you to create and live a meaningful and intentional life by design. And today, we have a really good topic that we're going to talk about really top of mind, which I'm sure you've seen many headlines around, which is the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. It's an unfortunate story, but one that we're going to pull some really important lessons out of. Now, before we get into that story, we're going to cover what happened, what led to its ultimate demise, what this means for the banking industry, for the tech industry, for all of us as individuals and as investors. And then also we'll pull out five key lessons. And even though you're not investing billions of dollars at a time, there's still important lessons from this story that we can each pull out for our own investment strategy. Even if you're investing 50K, 100K, or a few hundred thousand at a time, there's important lessons that we're going to be pulling out here. So stay tuned for that. But first, I want to start by just sharing a little bit about my personal experience with banking. I, gosh, I still remember back when I was, I think maybe third grade or fourth grade, we were living in New Jersey at the time, right outside of New York City. And I remember every week my mom and I, she didn't drive. So we would walk to the grocery store And on the way there, we would often stop by the bank. It was, I believe it was Citizens Bank that my parents banked with. And so we would walk in and my favorite part was, of course, the jar of lollipops. But I got to watch her fill out the deposit slips and go up to the counter, sometimes make a withdrawal, give me my allowance, things like that. And I remember just having no concept of where the money goes. I thought, well, I mean, there's these slips of paper and then maybe there are these drawers full of cash, but with the tellers were opening up to hand us over the cash, right? And so I figured there must be just like a huge vault behind the glass, right? Somewhere back there, there was a huge vault, of course, with a very tight locking system. (laughs) And in there was all the money that for the bank. And it would just sit there until people wanted to make their withdrawals. If they didn't have it in the drawer, they'd go back to the vault, get the money out and give it to the customer. I had no idea that there was this whole extensive network, that there were investments that the banks were making, that they were taking our money and then creating yield to pay us the interest, but also to keep their lights on and to make a profit as well. So I had no idea at the time. But of course, over the years, I've learned more and more about that. And with this latest story with Silicon Valley Bank, 
there's a lot of pieces that went into play here that we're going to talk about. And certainly if you have not studied up much on the banking industry, no worries, because we're going to dive into all of that. And we're going to make this really easy to understand because it truly is. It's a very unfortunate story, but also one that it could happen to anybody. The things that led up to what ultimately happened, there wasn't any one thing that they necessarily did wrong. They did the best that they could all along the way. And one thing led to another, but we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, hey, I know that you have a lot of choices out there when it comes to investing. We hope that real estate is on your radar. We are big proponents of investing in real estate for many reasons, including some that we'll talk about here on the show today, including that it's a hard physical asset. So unlike a paper asset, real estate can't just vanish into thin air overnight. That value generally retained very well over long periods of time. And so it can be a great way to invest and grow your wealth. But we know that not everybody wants to be a landlord. You're living your life. You're focused on maybe traveling or your own business. You don't want to have to deal with tenants, toilets, and termites. And so that's why we focus on real estate syndications, helping people to invest passively. So we do all the work and you get to be a part of it. And as part of this, it's really important, especially in this environment, to really do your due diligence and learn about the groups that you're investing with. It's not just about the deal itself. Anybody can make a deal look good on paper, but especially in this environment to actually execute on the business plan and deliver on those returns, it's not easy. And not every group is going to be able to do that. And so as they say, when the tide goes out, you'll see who's swimming naked. But what you can do before the tide goes fully out is to do your due diligence on the groups that you are thinking of investing with. And so to make it super easy for you, we've put together our case studies and track records. So we've pulled together all of the deals that we've exited, which is 20 to date. And we've put all of those in one document for you. So you can see the original projected returns and the actual returns. Spoiler alert, we didn't hit them on every single deal. It would be very rare and kind of questionable if there were a group out there who has hit every single return or claims that they've hit every single return because there's always things that don't go according to plan. And it's when they don't go according to plan, that's when you learn who's swimming naked for lack of a better (laughs) metaphor, right? So to get your copy of our case studies and track record, just go to goodegginvestments.com slash track record. And if you are interested and ready to invest, we've got our current offering, Good Egg Wealth Fund 2. It's our second multifamily equity fund. We've already got our first asset in there under contract. It's a brand new build in one of the fastest growing markets in the whole country, Orlando, Florida. We have other assets there as well. And this one is an amazing one to start off this fund with. To learn more about that opportunity, go to goodegginvestments.com slash fund two. That's goodegginvestments.com slash fund and the number two. All right. With that, let's go ahead and dive into this whole situation. What's going on? You've seen the headlines, right? Silicon Valley Bank collapses. One of the largest banks in America collapses overnight. So let's talk about 
what actually happened here. This is the 16th largest bank in America and the largest bank since the 2008 financial crisis. And so even if you've never been a customer or an investor with Silicon Valley Bank, even if you had never even heard of it until recent headlines, it's worth taking a moment to dig in to understand what's going on and to start to wrap your mind around the potential ramifications and ripple effects of this major collapse. So in this episode, we're going to walk you through everything we know so far about the events that have unfolded in the wake of the SVB collapse, what this could mean for the greater economy, and most importantly, lessons that you as an individual investor should take away from this situation for your own personal financial and investing strategy. All right, so let's start with what happened. How did this happen and seemingly so quickly. All right. So here's what you need to know. Silicon Valley Bank provided banking services to nearly half the country's venture capital-backed technology and life science companies and to more than 2,500 venture capital firms. And this includes major tech companies like Roku and Etsy. And for several decades, while many startups were doing well, Silicon Valley Bank continued to do what many banks do, which is they kept a small portion of its deposits in cash and used the rest to buy long-term debt, including treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. Now, in 2021, this is when the beginning of the end, although they didn't see it, nobody saw it at the time. But in 2021, think about what happened, right? 2020, we had just had the COVID pandemic shutdown, of course, the government stimulus. So in 2021, we started to see that influx of cash. And so in 2021, Silicon Valley Bank experienced what seemed like a really, really good problem to have. Uh, all of a sudden, its clients were flush with cash, again, due in part to the government stimulus, as well as the tech boom right around that time, right? And so due to this surge, the bank's total deposits exploded from $62 billion, which was already a lot, to over $124 billion. Now, while on the outside... This 100% growth seems like the best thing ever. I mean, who wouldn't want overnight your business to double, right? All of a sudden, it doesn't matter what business you're in, right? You sell out of everything or you all of a sudden have your calendar filled up with new clients, whatever it is, right? Growth always seems like a really good thing. But in this case, because there was this sudden influx of cash, SVB had to figure out what they were going to do with that money. And unlike what I thought as a kid, they couldn't just have $124 billion sitting there in a vault. So they had to figure out what to do with that. And that led to some of the investment decisions that ultimately led to the downfall. So here's what happened. As deposits grew at this alarming rate, the bank couldn't grow their loan book fast enough to generate the yield that they needed to earn on the capital that they were taking in. So as a result, they made the decision, they made a bet. They made a decision to purchase over $80 billion in bonds and mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, leaving relatively little liquidity. But remember, rates were low at that point in 2021, historically low. 
And so they had to invest the majority of the money to kind of even have a shot at making some of those returns to pay out the interest on their for all these deposits. Now, as a side note, just something to know, history always repeats itself, right? And so there was a regulatory package, the Dodd-Frank Act back in following the 2008 financial crisis. That regulatory package was put into place for this exact reason as a way to have more government oversight and regulations for banks, including requirements for liquidity and frequent stress testing to prevent a collapse of this magnitude. However, memories only last so long, right? In 2008, it was still fresh and people were like, yeah, let's get these new regulations in place. 10 years later, in 2018, those memories had faded a little bit. And so in 2018, a bank deregulation bill was signed, which removed many of the liquidity and stress test requirements, thus giving banks like SVB the ability to make the investment and financial decisions that ultimately led to its collapse. So just so you know, some of that backstory and the way that the legal system kind of plays into this as well. So, okay, now let's get back to the story. So they had made all these investments in these long-term debts, so debt instruments, right? Mortgage-backed securities, treasury bonds. And while those long-term debt investments were great, while interest rates remained low, they provided steady and modest returns, they quickly lost value as interest rates started and have continued to rise over the last year. And SVB, you know, and we'll talk about this in a bit, they assumed because the Fed had kept promising they're not going to raise rates, not going to raise rates. And so SVB took that bet and they said, well, the Fed says they're not going to raise rates. And so they made these investments, but then guess what happened? Of course, the rates went up. And so as the rates went up, those investments quickly lost value and became worth less. Now, this in and of itself normally wouldn't be an issue because the bank could just wait for those bonds to mature. However, this is where the compounding of multiple things comes in because there's been a slowdown in venture capital and tech at a broader level, in part due to the rising interest rates. As a result, deposit inflows have slowed dramatically and clients started withdrawing money because they didn't have that same influx of cash. These small businesses, these startups were hurting for cash. And so we started pulling their money out, which put SVB in a very tight cash crunch. So as a result, they didn't have any choice. They had to sell some of their investments at a loss. And so as of this recording last week, The bank announced that they had sold $21 billion of their securities, incurring a $1.8 billion loss. Ah, So then, of course, that of itself too, that in and of itself would not have led to a collapse, but the compounding of events, right? So as the loss was announced, both depositors and investors panicked, leading to a run on the bank, as well as a freefall in stock prices. As panic spread via the Twitterverse, this is actually, I think it was Wall Street Journal and New York Times announced that this was the first Twitter-induced bank run and bank collapse. But now, right, news spreads like 
wildfire. So panic spread and depositors rushed to withdraw their funds, which these days is as easy as the click of a button. And so they were able to pull out tens of billions of dollars within a few short hours. And so because SBB didn't have that capital liquid, they didn't have a way to satisfy all of the withdrawal requests. And so that was the end. The FDIC stepped in shortly thereafter and froze everything and kind of took over from there. Now, of course, as of this recording, events are continuing to unfold and we're still going to continue to stay on top of everything. And we'll see the full ramifications continue to play out in the months and even years to come, not only within the banking industry, but also in the tech and startup industry, as well as the broader economy. But one of the first questions that all of this may bring to mind for you is whether there will be a domino effect with other banks and thus whether your personal capital is safe. Well, here's some context there. So at the end of 2022, Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest bank in the country with $209 billion in assets. And while that does sound like a lot of money, it actually in reality only represents less than 1% of all banking assets in the US. And so because it is such a small amount, relatively speaking, there is little risk at this time that this collapse will spill over to other banks, particularly those that have strong cash positions and are well diversified. That being said, though, this collapse does bring to light the risks that many banks may have in their investment portfolios, especially in this rising interest rate environment. If interest rates continue to rise, many banks may see the value of their investment portfolios decrease, which again, in and of itself is nothing to be alarmed about because they can just hold those until those investments mature over time. But if they get squeezed and they're put in a position where they have to sell at a loss, that's when the dominoes start to fall. And so nothing to immediately be alarmed about here. And it's a small chance that this will continue, but it is an interesting thing, right? Because it does bring into question the banking regulations, the way that the banking system functions, the latitude that they're given. So lots of different things. And we're going to see the ramifications of this over time. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. 
We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. So banking, that's one, is whether it'll have an impact on other banks. Likely not, maybe some in the near term, but likely not a huge breakdown of the banking system. But what about interest rates? That's the other question, right? Well, given everything that has happened, many experts are predicting that the Federal Reserve will temporarily pause on their rate hikes. Phew, it's about time we need a break from that, right? <laughs> But the pause will just be temporary as things stabilize a bit. So there will likely continue to be some interest rate increases, though the Fed may choose to hold off amid all of this chaos to help things settle down a little bit. Goldman Sachs predicts that there will be no rate increase in March, followed by quarter point increases in May, June, and July, respectively, bringing the overall rate to 525 to 5.5%. And others, including Barclays, have made predictions that are fairly in line with this as well. So in short, expect some additional rate increases, but maybe not immediately. So given all of this, what now? <laughs> what can or should we do in the wake of this story and this news? Well, as with any major event, particularly in the financial sector, we like to take a close look to examine the potential lessons we might take away for our own investment decisions and portfolios. So even if you're not investing billions of dollars at a time, it's worth it to extrapolate some of the lessons from this story. So let's dive in. We've got five key lessons for you from this story. The first one is to diversify your income sources. Diversify your income sources. So if you don't already grab a pen, write these down. It's important for you not just to take this, but really reflect and sit with these lessons and apply them to your overall investment strategy. So the first lesson is diversify your income sources. What do we mean by that? Well, for Silicon Valley Bank, one of the biggest dominoes that led to its collapse was the lack of diversification in its funding sources, given that a large majority of its client base were tech startups. Now, even though this may not seem to apply to you, let me tell you, it absolutely does. Because take a moment now to think about your own funding sources, so to speak. In other words, where does your income come from? If you currently have only a single source of income, most likely the paycheck from your day job, then you're in some ways in the same boat as SVB. Because if you were to get laid off or otherwise lose your job, you would be in a similar situation and faced with a potentially drastic shortfall and ensuing cash crunch that would force you maybe to make some decisions that you otherwise wouldn't make with the rest of your holdings in your portfolio. If, however, you were to diversify your income sources, through multiple streams of income, including both active, passive, and residual income, then you're better prepared when a single source of income pauses or fails. 
So if you don't already, be sure to set up multiple streams of income. And again, investing in real estate can be a great way to create a stream of income separate from your W-2 job. Lesson number two, make sure you have ample liquidity. That liquidity is key, those cash reserves, especially at a time like this. So that really, that was the second major issue that SVB faced was the lack of adequate liquidity. Because the bank had invested the vast majority of its funds, it was suddenly in hot water when massive amounts of depositors all started withdrawing their funds at once. Now, for you as an individual, a similar thing could happen. While it's unlikely that you'll suddenly have thousands of people taking your money all at once, it's very possible that you could experience a sudden unexpected event that could leave you tapped out. And for this reason, we always advise you not to invest if you're doing so with the last $50,000 that you have to your name. We don't want you to clear out your bank account to invest with us, especially with all the economic uncertainty at the moment. You need an emergency fund as well as ample reserves to weather any potential storm. Now, with the properties in our portfolio, we are similarly ensuring that we batten down the hatches and stock up on reserves to prepare for any potential challenges or difficulties ahead. Now, as you think about your overall financial picture and investment decisions, make sure that you have ample liquidity on hand so you don't need to pull out of your investments potentially at a loss to access the cash you need. Make sure you have plenty of cash on hand. Lesson number three, diversify your investment holdings. Now, this one should be pretty common sense at this point is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your good eggs in one basket. (laughs) But as with many banks, Silicon Valley Bank invested in a lot of paper assets like treasury bonds. And while those investments can be great for the long term, and while interest rates remain low, they can quickly, as we talked about, lose value as interest rates increase. And herein lies the rub with paper assets. Because they're not backed by physical assets like real estate, they can lose massive amounts of value very This also includes those who invested in SVB stock, who saw their investments decline drastically overnight. While there's certainly value to investing in paper assets, and personally, I invest in the stock market as well, a healthy investment portfolio should also include a variety of different investments, including hard physical assets like real estate, which tends to be a much slower moving financial instrument and holds its value extremely well over time. So even if a real estate asset were literally to go up in smoke, Here's the thing, you still have the value of the land that the property was on. So it's very, very unlikely and nearly impossible for you to lose your entire investment overnight as you could with paper assets. But again, that's the value of diversification because you want some assets that are steady, stable, slower growing, some that are faster growing with higher risk. And overall, it kind of balances out your portfolio overall. All right, on to lesson number four, monitor economic indicators and trust, but verify. So for this lesson, we'd like to pull out that 
there is, even if you don't read all the headlines and you're not in it with all the news that's going on, it's important on some level to keep a pulse, even at a high level, on what's going on. Early in the pandemic, the Fed assured everyone that they would not raise rates. However, given the cycle of pretty much every previous recession to date, the writing was on the wall. And with the level of government stimulus that we saw in the COVID-19 pandemic, it was more or less inevitable that at some point we would start to see inflation and interest rate hikes. Add to that the supply chain issues that we've seen, those have only exacerbated things further. Now with SVB, they believed that interest rates would remain low. And so that thus they made some long-term investment decisions based on that, which as you know, ultimately led to huge losses. So the lesson here is trust the Fed or trust, but always verify. While none of us have a crystal ball, it's important to keep your pulse on the broader economy. Take time to understand market cycles. Listen to podcasts like this, read blog posts, get a variety of different perspectives and make investment decisions based on solid fundamentals and within asset classes that you're comfortable and confident in. All right, our final lesson, lesson number five, be proactive, be resourceful, and think ahead. Now, one part of this story we haven't talked about is sort of Silicon Valley Bank's last effort to save the business, which recently they announced they had launched a $2.25 billion share sale in an effort to raise the capital needed to shore up the bank's capital base after losing that $1.8 billion that they lost in the sale of the $21 billion in securities. Now, unfortunately, rather than help their cause, this only served to further exacerbate the fear and panic, leading to more depositors withdrawing their funds. Now, could SVB have sought help sooner? Could they have survived a loss at a different point in the market cycle? Could they have invested in different things? Probably the answer is yes to some or all of those, but we'll never know for sure. What we do know, however, is the importance of looking ahead and being proactive, particularly with your personal financial decisions. For example, as interest rates rise, think about what that could mean for your existing holdings, as well as new investments you're thinking of making. Don't just shut it all out and say, that doesn't relate to me. Everything relates to you. And so sit down. If you're not sure, reach out to us or read blog posts, read the news, read or watch videos, listen to what others are saying and figure out what you think for yourself and tie it back to your own holdings, your own portfolio, and what that means. For example, if you see a potential cash crunch ahead for yourself, maybe there's other sources of capital that you can proactively tap, even while you may not need it today, but in a few months' time, maybe you will. And then at that point, it'll be too late to start the process. You want to start the process now for things like a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, a business line of credit, personal line of credit, looking at things like whole life insurance, looking at things like even the credit cards that you have, right? And then also on the other end, looking at your expenses. Are there some expenses that you could proactively cut back on to preserve more capital if you do see a potential cash crunch in down the road. So thinking outside the box and being resourceful can help you get ahead of potential tight spots down the road and ensure you have plenty of options available for whatever lies ahead. 
So with all that, hopefully it's a little bit clearer for you now what has happened with Silicon Valley Bank, what it means for the greater economy, as well as for you and your personal finances, as well as your personal investment strategy. And hopefully you've learned a couple of things from this story, maybe through the lessons, the five key lessons that we pulled out that you can start to apply to and reflect on with your own investment portfolio. Now, the one other thing I want to say is I know you're probably scared. We're scared. Everybody's scared right now. We don't know what's going on, but that doesn't mean you stop. It shouldn't mean that you don't do anything because that's when you miss out on opportunities. And so the best thing to do now is to educate yourself, become well-informed so that you can make the right investment decisions. Because I promise you, there are really great, really great opportunities right now. Because as people run the other way, that's when the best opportunities happen because things are being sold at a discount, right? So you can really pick up a lot of great investments and get involved in a lot of great opportunities at this time. But again, you've got to take the time, invest in yourself, invest in educating yourself so that you can be well-informed and be confident going into those investments. Now, Here at Good Egg Investments, we are here to support and help on your journey to discovering and unlocking your meaningful and intentional life by design, whatever that means for you. And we know that investments are a big part of that, that passive income that we talked about, having multiple streams of income. So we want to be a part of helping you build your portfolio and build your wealth for your family, for your future, and for your legacy. And so, like we said at the top of the show, if you are ready to invest, we invite all of you to invest alongside us in our latest offering, Good Egg Wealth Fund 2. It's a multifamily equity fund, which means we're going to invest in multiple multifamily assets across major markets in the Sunbelt region. That's where we're seeing a lot of job growth and population growth. So there's tremendous opportunity there. And through this being a fund investment, it further de-risks your investment because you're spreading your capital across multiple assets and multiple markets and multiple business plans rather than just in one deal in one location. So to find out more, go to goodeginvestments.com slash fund and the number two. All right. With that, if there's anything else that we can do for you, feel free to reach out at any time. You can learn more about all that we're doing at goodeginvestments.com. For now, we wish you a sunny side up day ahead, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Life and Money Show. You've been listening to the Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodeginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 